It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Bracha, coming at you from the New York, New Jersey area. We're going to break down last week's UFC Silva versus Hall, and we're going to get into this weekend's UFC fight card that's main evented by Glover Teixeira and Tiago Santos, possibly for a shot at the light heavyweight title. Nikolai, how are you, buddy? Another big win for Nick. Another big win for Nick. Another big win for Nick. Well, we listen, we were both 5-1, and one, except... Your loss got knocked silly, and my loss was a heavily disputed decision. So, you know, the margin may be a little bit wider than you're suggesting, but 16, 12, and 5 overall, that means your record of winning versus not winning is under 500 at 16 and 17. 16 and 17, you have a 16 and 17 record of wins versus non-wins and i'm creeping up man four all i gotta do four cards four cards i gotta take and i think it's i think it's the role is gonna start this weekend and i am gonna go into the holidays riding you like a bronco that My didn't goodness, come out right Nikolai, what in the world <laughs> what are you trying to tell me here can we keep it in the friend zone what an image doesn't it Technically mean if I am 16 and 17 between wins and non-wins, doesn't that make you 12 and 21 between wins and non-wins? Well, no, that means, uh, oh yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> but <laughs> So the main event was interesting between Hall and Silva. First two and a half rounds were close, right? With Silva pressuring forward, neither guy landing over 20 strikes per round. Silva went on the offensive a few times. He looked tight and cautious. Yeah, uh, but... But he did go on the offensive several times early on, but Hall needs a couple of rounds to warm up as he's shown with third round, third and second round comeback knockouts several times in his career now. And when Silva ran forward with his head in the center line, naturally it made the check hook that Hall countered with that much more powerful. Hall also hurt him in the late third round um, and literally was seconds away from finishing Silva. The bell saved him. And then Silva again was too aggressive in the fourth round and got finished there. Silva never used to fight this way. He's always been a disciplined counter-striker, not opening up until his opponent makes a mistake. He's had boring fights, and it was always against fellow counter-fighters, right? No, he used to keep his head way back. and it was right, right, that's what I'm saying. He, he never really ran forward the way that he did in this case. Uh, he's had really boring fights, and he was criticized for it because he was always waiting for his opponent to throw something that he could counter. Aggressive buffoons like Forrest Griffin and Chris Lieben were the ones that got smoked by Silva, because they gave him something to counter consistently. In this fight, Silva gave Hall something to counter, and naturally Hall took advantage of it, at least eventually. Dana White talked about how he won't let Silva fight in the UFC again. Dude, you made this fight. You arranged this fight between this man who's still in his prime and this man who's clearly past it. Dana also mentioned how Uriah Hall is one of the most gun-shy guys in the UFC. He got a knockout. Yeah, that's You're a promoter. You know, that's kind of what what Dana does. Listen, Robert, Robert Whitaker had to say was, "Oh man, I don't know if I'm stoked to fight that guy again." Kind of half tongue in cheek, thinking about the prospect of, you know, just a year later, getting back or a year and a half later, getting back in the cage with Israel Adesanya. Which, like, you know, he was he was earnest, but he didn't say he wouldn't take the fight. You know, this is after White had said Whitaker's next, and Whitaker was kind of like. That's a daunting prospect, but, you know, of course he was likely going to step up and do it. He's focused right now on having, you know, his, uh, he's going to have a kid, I think in December or January, and that's all he had to do. And then the fight's gone, taken away from him by the promoter who didn't, who didn't want to hear that he wasn't stoked. Uh, even if it was said tongue in cheek because Adesanya has been so, uh, dominant lately. So, and now, and now we've got Adesanya versus Jan Blachowicz. So like, yeah, Dana White's a you know he's a he's a, he's a tyrant, <laughs> like, and I think that was completely unfair. I didn't think I thought Silva looked better than I thought he would. Like, can he you know can he compete with the top fifteen at that weight class at forty five years old? For the most part, probably not. But he didn't have nothing. He didn't he didn't look like I didn't think he looked as bad as Chuck Liddell. You know at at the end. Um, 
so I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed the fight. I thought it was competitive and interesting. And I found the, uh, the resolution with Uriah Hall kind of breaking down emotionally, uh, quite moving. Yeah, that was a pretty special moment between Silva's Hall. Right after Hall finished him, he just kind of broke I like down, it. started crying. Silva came up. <laughs> Dana yeah. White probably hates it. Dana White probably hates it. I like it. Yeah, I can only imagine. That's the thing about Dana, right? Like, you just had a fighter come off a big knockout win over a legend. A fighter in a division where you don't really have a whole lot of contenders. So few contenders that you have to send the champion up a division to fight there. So why wouldn't you promote the guy? Why wouldn't you talk about how this was a phenomenal win and how Anderson Silva looked the best he has in years? Because all of those things could be true. It just seems like Dana White came into that press conference in a really shitty mood, and it sucks for the two main adventures because of it. Now, Hall spoke about the fact that he wants to challenge for the UFC title eventually. He wants to go in that direction. Even though he's 36 years old at this point, he is literally at his best right now. I don't know who we can see him matched up with. I guess we could see that Kelvin Gastelum rematch from the Ultimate Fighter finale. We could see Darren Till uh, come in there. Derek Brunson would be an interesting matchup. Y'all Romero's looking for a win, and this might be a good opportunity for him. I'm open to Jack Hermanson, man. Like, there's so many possibilities, I think. Oh, my God. Uriah Hall against Darren Till would be the most boring fight ever. I'm going to have a hard time disagreeing with you on that one. I don't think that would be a particularly exciting matchup, but I do think there are a lot of possibilities here and let's face it. I would say Chris, go ahead. Chris Weidman, you put two guys, you put two guys who are a little, that would be a rematch actually. Oh, you're right. Yes. They fought. They, yes. Chris, Chris Weidman knocked him out before his UFC career. Um, I would, I would let those guys run it back after fighting in like 2010 or something. Absolutely. I think Chris Weidman is an interesting matchup especially given the dynamics of when they first fought where Chris Weidman was kind of quickly on the rise and Uriah Hall was figuring out his game. I do also think if we're thinking of it as more of an opportunity for potentially Uriah Hall's opponent, Marvin Vittori might be a good option. I don't think either one of them is ready. I mean, maybe you give – it's a winner versus a loser, but maybe you give Uriah Hall to Edmund uh, Shabazian, but – I like. I mean, Marvin Vittori would be interesting, but I like. I like the Weidman because I think it's a winnable fight um, for Weidman. But one of, one of those two guys would need to overcome something and, and move a little bit further up um, before they they fight real competition. So I feel like that's. I feel like that's a pretty uh, smart approach. You could also go um, with the winner of Ian Heinish and uh, from this coming weekend. Ian Heinish is fighting Brendan Allen. Oh my, yeah, with Brendan Allen. Uh, so the winner of Ian Heinish, Brendan Allen, is not a bad, just a, a bad move either. I don't know if Hall at his age wants to uh, continue, you know, continue up. Um, I don't know what we do with Gastelum right now. Well, we don't have to match make Gastelum at this point. This is, you know, your eye Hall week, Nicola. No, I'm just, th- I was just think, I was just thinking if Gastelum would be the move for Hall, but I like, th- I like Weidman Hall the best. Yeah, I have nothing against that matchup whatsoever. I think that would be interesting. I feel like Hall finally being with a solid team, I think he's in the best situation of his career, and he's really putting all of it together at this moment more than any other in the history of his career. So it's good to see some success on Hall, even if it means that Anderson Silva has to get nicked up an extra time. We also had Bryce Mitchell, who came out with a fairly dominant win over Andre Philly. To be fair, Philly probably took that second round, but it was pretty clear to me that Bryce Mitchell dominated rounds one and three. Second round was competitive. Um, It just seems like it's harder and harder for even some of the higher-level gatekeepers, higher-level fighters, to prevent Bryce Mitchell from taking them down. And once he takes you down, he is going to be dominant. Yeah, he's still somewhat green. He's still got some things to work out. Don't get me wrong, but there is something special about this kid, despite the fact that he's an absolute maniac when it comes to every other aspect of his life. He is a damn good fighter. And, you know, Andre Philly, it's what I spoke about last week. The guy is not a prospect. We need to stop looking at him as a prospect because he's a tall, muscular, relatively young featherweight. The fact of the matter is that he's never pieced more than two wins together in his UFC career, and he is now one and two in his last three fights. He is three and three in his last six fights, and his UFC record is right along those lines. So really, really good performance by Bryce Mitchell, who is on his way up. They did a whole storyline about his camo shorts. I'm not sure I really give a shit about that so much, but I am excited to see a prospect doing well, and uh, this, I think, confirms him at this point as a blue-chip prospect, at least to me. Mitchell's 
really developed into a hell of an MMA wrestler. Um, he needs to advance position, I think, and learn how to ground and pound uh, a little bit better. Um, in Philly, despite you know being a good a good grappler himself, a good sprawler, he's just he's got that body type that's often gonna it's gonna be difficult against guys against guys like Mitchell. And this this largely went the way that we thought. I mean, Philly fought a, a really um, you know, you know, he never he never gave up, and he landed some some serious business in the second round. But you know, you can't be underneath for seventy percent of a fight and win unless you're gonna like knock the guy down a bunch of times. Yeah, you've got to do some serious damage if you're going to be taken down multiple times um, and spend a good portion of the fight on your back. You got to do some serious damage to still win a decision in that circumstance. And I will say one thing: when Andre Philly loses, like he doesn't have a great record overall in the UFC, but when he loses. They're almost always very close, competitive, sometimes controversial decisions, right? Rice Mitchell basically dominated him. There's no, not a single person in this world that's questioning whether or not Bryce Mitchell deserved that decision. So I think that, like, that is a statement in itself. Who do you think we can match Bryce Mitchell up with next? So here we go. Here we go. This is the match to make. They won't do it because they're going to be chicken shit, and I think they want, they want Bryce Mitchell to be a redneck star. Um. Bryce Mitchell against Ryan Hall. That is an interesting matchup, a grappler versus Dude, grappler. That would be Yeah, it would really test Bryce Mitchell's grappling. And we'd learn a lot about Bryce Mitchell in that fight. I mean, there's always the fear that it turns into a mediocre kickboxing match, but I don't think so. I think uh Yeah, if I was Bryce Mitchell, that's how I would game plan for it. I wouldn't want to stay away from the ground game against the more dangerous submission artist and stay on the feet and see what I can do there. Yeah, but Bryce Mitchell is not the striker Darren Elkins is. Not that Darren Elkins is a great strike, is an amazing striker, but I think he's probably better than Bryce Mitchell and Ryan. I don't know. Oh, if I really? Agree. Yeah. Uh, I think that Bryce Mitchell has much sharper boxing, much much better overall striking. He's more athletic. He's faster than his Darren Elkins, who's been doing this forever and is still pretty mediocre in that. Yeah, but Ryan. I mean, but Ryan Hall striking is, you know, I don't think. I don't think Ryan Hall's striking is that is that bad. I don't think he's going to go in there and get like. I don't think that Bryce Mitchell's going to Nate, Nate Marquardt against Damian Maya him. Like I I don't know. That's a fight I want to see. That's a fight that I would be super friggin' jazzed to see. It would be Ryan Hall and Bryce Mitchell. That's the fight. That's I think that's absolutely the fight to make. Yeah. Again, I would be interested in watching it for sure, but. For some reason, Ryan Hall has this thing where he feels he is entitled to fighting the very best fighters on the planet and that they have to take fights against him. Even though he doesn't really have any serious major wins, he doesn't really have any serious scalps. And Ryan Hall refuses to fight anybody that's ranked, you know, not way above him. So he's kind of a hypocrite, I guess, in that way. Like everybody at the top has to be willing to fight him, but nobody below him he's willing to accept a fight against, which is exactly what he's complaining about the guys at the top doing. But yeah, I mean, that would be an interesting matchup. I am definitely open to it if the UFC can set that one up. I think Ryan Hall takes that fight because Bryce Mitchell is getting all sorts of jujitsu cred. And I could see Ryan Hall being like, whoa, 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 whoa. The featherweight division only has one BJJ master. So that's the fight I want to see. It is particularly interesting because Ryan Hall's last loss was against a bigger, more athletic wrestler and Saul Rogers on the tough season that he competed in. So I could see this being an interesting, intriguing matchup for a lot of reasons. And you're right, Bryce Mitchell has a lot of heat on him. So it is a possibility, I guess, that Ryan Hall takes the fight if he feels like it would be an easy enough fight and get him enough respect. Now, Greg Hardy dominated Maurice Green. Uh, that was one-sided, really no competition about it. Maurice Green is not a great fighter, and Greg Hardy is a talented guy, even though he's a piece of shit of a human being. And then we had Kevin Holland, who, you know, slammed Charlie Ontiveros around a couple times before Ontiveros kind of popped out his shoulder, and that was that. Or maybe it was a neck injury, I'm not sure. And then we had Tiago Moises versus Bobby Greenneck. I mean, I had Green. I think I believe that most of MMA decisions had Green. He was also my pick, so you know I can. Out, I'm certainly guilty of having pick bias because defeating you is um, really the only reason I'm still breathing. Um, <laughs> and at the same time, though, my feeling about a round and a half into this was Bobby Green's been very active. He looked like a monster in his last fight in terms of his energy and his output and his precision. He felt a little bit off in this fight, and I don't, I don't think that it was because Moises was bringing stuff. This I don't want to level an accusation on Bobby Green. 
I wonder how much of a real camp he did between this this fight and his last fight, which was only like a month ago. He looked like he he did not seem to me um, to be as in shape or as hungry. Uh, and I just I wonder if for these guys that are, you know, going into their fourth fight, you know, their fourth fight of the year, if he underestimated him a little bit and, and got surprised, because I think that the Bobby Green that showed up to fight Alan Patrick like runs through this guy. Like obviously, uh, Moises has has great uh, has great jujitsu, and Green escaped that tight, uh, you know that that tight leg lock, but or heel hook, uh, I guess he was going for. But I don't know, man. I think I think the like a, a ready to an above average, or even an average Bobby Green performance like wipes this guy out thirty twenty seven. So it was way closer than I think it had to be. I think a case can be made for either fighter. Um, I scored it. I scored it for Green, giving him one in three. Yeah, it should have gone to Bobby Green. Green landed like double number of strikes, but they didn't look like they were doing much damage. When Moises did land, it looked significant. Yeah, Green wore Green wore the damage, right? Well, but it looked like headbutt damage. I don't, I don't know. know about headbutt damage. Like he didn't headbutt him. He clearly landed on him here and there, right? Even when Moises landed on Green's chest or arm, it made Green lose his balance when it looked like a big shot to the judges, right? Like, like the judges can't always tell that a clean shot didn't land, especially when Green kind of takes three steps back in response. On top of all that, Diego's kicks look like big strikes, even though Green defended almost all of them. I wouldn't be surprised if American top teams scouted the fact that Green slows down at the end of every round and instructed Tiago to really pick it up late in the rounds to give the judges kind of a final impression before they get to decide on who won that round. Well, I agree that Green seemed like the more technical fighter and landed more strikes and back Moises up. It would take a really good judge to give more credit to Green's crisp, low-power strikes over Tiago's big, seemingly powerful strikes. Green was barely slipping most shots, and it takes a really good eye to notice a slight miss. Unfortunately, MMA doesn't have many judges with a good eye. By the way, if that fight was judged correctly, we would have been in a much better place in the betting, unfortunately, because I had two parlays involving Bobby Green. It was a losing week for us, but we won more last week than we lost this week, so I'm not too down in the dumps about it. Um, I'll get into it more in the betting guide later on this episode, of course. As we say, con like controversial, but not robbery. Yeah, I agree. And here's the thing about you talking about Bobby green, possibly not being in shape for this one, possibly not having a full training camp. It seems to me like he spent all of quarantine in training camp preparing for just like any fight that comes in. I think he was thriving in this environment. I think he still is. He had a pretty good performance right on Saturday night. So I don't think the issue is that Bobby green was out of shape. I think the issue is that Bobby green fought the same way that he fought previously. And Tiago Moises made big, big improvements. Uh, training with one of the best camps on the planet. Tiago Moises isn't the most talented guy on the planet, right? But still, training with ATT, it's going to do a lot for your game, especially if those guys really uh, decide to invest and put some time into you. Also on this card, Alexander Hernandez smoked Gris Gritschmeiker. He was just way more athletic, way faster like we expected, and he got him out of there quickly. Adrian Yanez destroyed Victor Rodriguez, who looked like a way smaller man in this one. Sean Strickland ran, well, not ran through. I guess he dominated Jack Marshman. I thought that he could finish the fight, but he just decided to stand up and exchange strikes with the guy. Yeah, Victor, Rodri oh, Victor Rodriguez, it's like I knew he had, he had taken some heat and he was trying to circle out of there, but... I mean, he turned, he, he, you know, he, he rousied like after a strike, he turned, he essentially turned his back on the, on his opponent with his hands down and Adrian, Adrian just set him up like he was in a video game. And that was that Sean Strickland just more, more or less just had his way with, with Jack Marshman couldn't put him away, but um, you know, looked, looked pretty good. I'm excited for the next Sean, Sean Strickland. I really feel like Sean Strickland could have gotten the finish here if he wanted to. I mean, I think he was trying on the on the feet. He said to Marshman out loud during the fight, "Why won't you fall down?" Like I think John Strickland was doing was doing his best. I guess there's a chance that his corner wanted him to get some ring time, but he could have finished him on the ground, man. He could have just taken him down and submitted him. Speaking of ground games, um, you know, I haven't you haven't I haven't seen a fighter uh, go like a buzz throw buzzsaw through someone like Jason Witt went through Cole Williams in, in quite a while. Um, that was an emphatic performance. Justin Dacoby, uh made pretty short work of, of Justin Ledette, who couldn't take those leg kicks. 
Um, and then you were uh, violently wrong as Michael Johns, who you pick, who you picked against. Miles Johns uh, separated uh, Kevin Natividad from consciousness. So I mean, a lot of a lot of finishes. Yeah, Miles Johns had terrible output in his first couple of UFC bouts. He lost one by knockout because he barely went for a takedown or barely threw anything. He lost an he arguably lost another one because he barely threw anything and barely was able to get takedown. So I expected him to have that same kind of low output and for him to get in trouble, but he really got motivated, I think, by that knockout loss a few months ago. Came in here and really put it on Kevin Natividad, his jab, his wrestling, and then that right uppercut all looked really solid. So good on him. He's uh, finally starting to look like the prospect we all thought he was. And that'll do it for this card, Nick. Let's take a break, come back, and break down this weekend's UFC Teixeira versus Santos. Fight Night Teixeira versus Santos. An interesting situation here, Nick, where we have 41-year-old Glover Teixeira about to get potentially a second title shot with a win here. Going up against Diago Santos, who's a former kind of mid-level middleweight, coming up to light heavyweight, putting all of it together, and really performing at his best, coming off of arguably the best performance of his career in a very, very competitive decision fight with uh, John Jones, in which... Both of his knees, I think, were like wrecked in that fight, and he still made it to the end. He still arguably won the bout. And barring John Jones staying at 205, we're probably going to get our next light heavyweight number one contender from this matchup, Nick. Is this another one of those passing of the guard, old guy versus young guy matchups, or is it more complex than that, Nick? Well, well, the, yeah, but the, I mean, the big difference is, and I'm sure we'll get into this when this pick comes up, is that Glover Teixeira is still a very, very skilled boxer. Um, although we've questioned his durability over the last couple of years, he looked plenty durable against Anthony Smith. We'll see if that holds up um, under the heavy you know, hands and kicks of Thiago Santos. But on the Santos side, we're talking about a guy who hasn't fought in 18 months who essentially has two completely... Uh, repaired knees after ter after tearing both of his ACLs. Now we know that you know in about the same amount of time GSP came back successfully um, from that kind of surgery, but you know I'm not sure that George St. Pierre and, and Tiago Santos are the same you know are the same animal. So lots of uh, we're going to learn a lot about where these guys stand and if either one of them has the opportunity. Uh, to take a step forward in their in their you know frankly largely successful uh, UFC runs. Agreed on all fronts, buddy. Let's get into our draft picks competition. For those of you that are listening for the first time, Nick and I take turns picking fighters on the upcoming card at the end of fight night. Whichever of us has more winning fighters on our pick list ends up walking away with the win that week. Right now, the tally is sixteen of my wins, twelve of Nick's, and then we have five draws mixed in there. My first pick is going to be Chika Chikadze to beat Jamie Simmons. Damn it. Was this going to be your first pick as well, buddy? <laughs> I like to hear that. It was up there. Good. Good to hear, man. Simmons is a decent grappler, but not good enough to take Chikadze down as Chikadze has made big improvements since his Contender Series debut a couple of years ago. So much so that he lost that Contender Series bout. I think he was finished and has gone on to an undefeated UFC record of 4-0. and Chikadze should have his way here, even though both fighters took this assignment on relatively short notice. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to see Chikadze in there so quickly. And just a couple weeks ago, he showed up as a different, much more aggressive fighter rather than sort of a counterpoint fighter. Um, watching the, some of Simmons' regional fights, like as recent as is 2019, he's got you know he's got some pop, but he uh, you know and, pre and pretty good grappler, the Afro Samurai, but. I just don't. I don't think his striking is going to be nearly at this level. I just. I. He looked like a, who knows. Sometimes these guys are showing up on short notice and, um, you know, coming out of nowhere and starching guys. It's possible. I think it's unlikely, but we've seen it happen two or three times since COVID. Um, this would have been one of my early picks, but yeah, especially this this new improved Agro Chikadze over a guy coming up from the regional scene. No brainer. Um. <clears throat> 
So my number one pick, which I thought you were going to take, but you didn't. I thought this was surely going to be your number one. I'm all about King Kong, the exciting heavyweight, Alexander Romanov, is going to get on top of and just ride Marcos Rogerio de Lima like a Bronco. Um, like his last fight, we'll feel and see shades of Brock Lesnar against Heath Herring. And I see this being a very, very unpleasant like two to three minutes uh, for Rogerio de Lima. Yeah, I'm there with you. Lima is very experienced, super powerful, former light heavyweight, actually. Hits hard and can be aggressive when fresh. He has a good top game, but he doesn't have much heart. Gets gassed by mid-fight if he hasn't finished by then. Romanov is undefeated, dominant monster of a man. Large, fast, explosive, throws flying stuff, even though his stand-up game isn't very technical. But more importantly, he is not unlike Khabib in a lot of ways. I realize he hasn't fought high level of competition yet, but he has got that kind of talent. It seems like he might, at least, right? Um, I think that, uh, look, I know that Delima can land a bomb, but I like Romanov to take Delima down and dominate, like you said. It might look sloppy late if they go into round three, but the first two rounds will be entertaining if that's even necessary because I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Romanov can finish in the first or second round of this one. Delima has 36% takedown defense and a bad gas tank. It's not a good combination against what could be the heavyweight Khabib. <laughs> yeah, that's not... <laughs> Yeah, having a three, having just a just a three a three hundred pound like rodeo guy on like on you with a bad when you're when you've got a bad gas tank like just I just this is not listen man I'll retire if I'll I'm not gonna say this I'm not gonna say it I I was gonna I was gonna retire I was gonna do loser leave town match I'll retire from the show if if Romanov uh, loses this fight but I don't I don't want to risk that. You know what's funny, Nick? Romanov is a huge favorite in this matchup now, right? And these guys were matched up just a couple of months ago. Right now, Romanov is a minus 335 favorite. When they were matched up a couple of months ago, Romanov was like minus 150 or something crazy like that. And unfortunately, since then, the match, the odds makers have done their homework, watched some tape on Romanov, and realized he's an absolute monster. And they made him a huge favorite over the same guy this time. They, they realize he's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So two and two and a half years, him against Cyril Cyril Gain is going to be some bonker shit. No kidding, Nick. I could definitely see that headlining a UFC pay per view with the heavyweight belt on the line a couple years from now. Very much looking forward to that. My second pick, Nick, is going to be Honey Barcelos to beat Khaled Taha. Uh, Honey is fast, very capable boxer, also has excellent Brazilian jiu-jitsu and solid wrestling. So on paper, he appears to be a pretty complete fighter. He likes to stalk with fakes and leg kicks as he kind of waits for the counter opportunity and when he counters he counters almost every time and it's with combos honey is 4-0 in the ufc with three finishes and holds a record of 15-1 overall so he's an under the radar prospect of bantamweight taha picked up two wins in the ufc but one was overturned after he tested positive for a diuretic he has some serious power in both hands generally a headhunter and doesn't throw many kicks he can be taken down and kept on his back against a good grappler and for that reason more than any other i think honey should be able to avoid taha's power and put the pressure on with some crisp boxing before taking top position and dominating from there I think that's likely. I was going to pick this later because I've got that spoiler feeling about Khalid Taha. I think sometimes, especially if a guy's coming off of a suspension, um, we can tend to underrate him. Uh, and I could, I will not be surprised if this is the upset of the night. But I'm still, I mean, conventional logic and analysis. Con yeah, conventional logic and analysis goes with Barcelos. But I was very nervous to pick this fight early because. I just got a, I got a spoiler vibe out of Taha, uh, the fighter out of Germany. Um, my next, uh, my next pick is uh, the up and the. I'm gonna go. I'm picking all the heavyweights uh, tonight. I'm gonna go with the the streaking Canadian heavyweight Tanner Bozer, um, who's got some real pop against the beloved um, veteran who's overall acquitted himself pretty well these last several years. Uh, and I'm a big fan of the guy personally and professionally, Andre Arlovsky. I think Arlovsky can stop and go to split or go to split decisions, um, or kind of like cautiously grind out victories against a lot of the heavyweight competition. But I think that Tanner Bozer is the level of guy with the level of pop that's going to find, uh, that's going to find that chin. So yes, he he got beat pretty badly by Cyril Gane, but he's won 
Uh, he's won twice since then. Um, and he does, he has a lot of power. Arlovsky's chin, I don't think Arlovsky's chin is over, but I don't think um, it's going to stand up to uh, Bozer's shots. So I, I think this is TKO by ground and pound in the, uh, probably in the first or second. I agree with you on the pick, but I don't expect for it to be just like a complete shellacking. Arlovsky is old and has an on and off again kind of chin issue, but he's still faster and more athletic than most UFC heavyweights. That, in addition to his like vast experience and craft, is why he still wins some fights right in the heavyweight division. His chin has been his big issue historically, but he's only been knocked out once in the last four years, so he has become much less hittable. But it also helps that he's fighting up and comers rather than some of the killers already at the top of the division. Bozer is a karate stylist who got his experience on the Canadian scene. He's on a two-fight finish streak after only finishing one opponent in his prior seven fights. Arlovsky wins fights in one of two circumstances at heavyweight at this point, right? One, if he's faster than his opponents. Two, is if his opponent doesn't have the gas tank to keep up with the veteran of 50 fights. I like Bozer to win here since he has the experience to manage his gas tank and the speed to counter Arlovsky effectively. This will be a close decision in all likelihood, though. I don't foresee it being just a first-round shellacking like you do. My next pick is going to be in the Glover Teixeira versus Thiago Santos matchup. Santos is obviously fast and explosive. We've all known this about him for a while, right? He used to be kind of a middle-level middleweight, trains an American top team with some of the best fighters on the planet, some of the best coaches. His style is kind of like he likes to kick when attacking first. He doesn't really like to throw a whole lot of punches first because that's what's gotten him knocked out in the past. So he prefers to counter with his boxing. If an opponent throws first, that's when he's going to capitalize and come back at you with a big bomb. In particular, he's gotten very good at kind of switching stances as he walks backwards. He kind of switches the stance and lands the check hook, and he can do that literally two or three times as the opponent kind of lunges forward. That's how he knocked out uh, the current 205-pound champ, Blackowicz, a couple of years ago, or maybe actually more like a year ago. His right leg kick is serious, just as his right knee stomp is. He used to run into opponent's strikes with pure aggression, which didn't work out very well because he does not have the best chin. But recently, he became very patient. He has serious killer instinct and busy in the clinch with knees and short punches, but he can get clipped on the way out of the clinch. Um, I'd also say he's very hittable with a jab in particular. I think he was knocked out by someone with a jab. I can't quite remember. Maybe Musasi was knocked down with it. Glover is... I mean, we all know that he's a grizzled veteran, should be on the way out at age 41, right? His career should be coming to an end, but instead he's on a four-fight winning streak over some of the most athletic and kind of explosive young guys in the division. He could earn his second UFC title shot with a win on Saturday. Pressures forward with overhand rights and left hooks, with which he also kind of counters as well pretty effectively. He likes to catch kicks for a takedown, ideally. Um, he's kind of a bruising top position guy with ground and pound and chokes. His chin was in question at some point, but he hasn't been knocked out in over three years now. Look, I, I can see Santos hurting Glover and then emptying his gas tank to finish the old guy, right? And if Glover survives and Santos is exhausted, it'll be Glover's fight. Kind of like it was the case with Anthony Smith and Glover's last fight. Another concern for Santos is Glover catches one of his kicks and turns that into a takedown. He gets top position. That could be a scary place for Santos to be, who's been finished on the ground a couple of times, including with just nasty ground and pound by Gayhard Musasi. But I don't think Glover can keep Santos down early. I think Santos will be explosive enough, and I think he'll he'll be pretty good about his P's and Q's on takedown defense. The Santos that fought Jimmy Manoa in kind of this, this crazy, wild, sloppy, rock'em, sock'em style fight where he ended up on his back several times, and that's against Jimmy Manoa, who's not at all a grappler, right? That version of Santos will absolutely lose to Glover Teixeira, but if he's patient, if he's careful, if it's the version of him that fought uh, not only John Jones, but also Jan Blakowicz, I think that version can certainly do some damage on to Teixeira. I think that the idea is for Santos to finish in the first round and a half, because after that, things could start going the opposite direction, um, if he you know, starts to wind down just a little bit or get sloppy. So I like Santos here to get probably a finish in the first round and a half over Glover, who's been looking really, really good lately. I will be secretly rooting for Glover, even though Santos seems like a sweet guy himself, actually. What are your thoughts, buddy? I really, I think this is really, really tough. And I know you speak, you know, you speak with respect of Teixeira's chin, but remember, even though he hasn't been knocked out, I don't think since um, massive Anthony Johnson – he was flash KO'd against Carl Robertson by those elbows and seemed to wake back up and went on to win in the same round. But he did. I definitely felt like he went out during that Robertson fight. 
I'm pulling for Teixeira in this fight. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be really interesting. I this is for me a pick. It was going to be one of the last ones. I'm not sure. I wrote down both of their names with question marks here. If I have to make a call, I'll say Teixeira just to be different uh, from from your pick. But this could go absolutely either way, in my opinion. All right, my next pick. I'm going to go with uh, Brendan Allen, who looked so good in his last fight against uh, Dawkins, against uh, Ian Heinish, who's a you know a strong a strong fighter, good all around. But I think he's going to get out grappled here. Um, and that Brendan Allen's probably going to win a 30, 27 decision. I don't see, I don't see Heinish, um, being able to keep the fight on the, uh, where he wants it. And I just see him like losing points on the bottom. Yeah. I'm with you on the pick. Heinish is a good pressure grappler, kind of a jack of all trades, but pretty talented. He can be hurt on the feet, but if not finished, he'll show some heart for sure. He can be taken down by a serious wrestler. And that's kind of where my concern comes in with the Brendan Allen matchup. Allen's got solid grappling with a serious submission game and good ground and pound. Pretty good standing up, but not very developed there, I would say. But he will have the height and reach advantage here, so I think that'll kind of yep. make up for some of that discrepancy. He's definitely a specialist in this matchup, going up against the kind of all-rounder in Heinich. He recently transitioned from Rufus Sport to Sanford right. MMA, which I think is a phenomenal move for a solid grappler since... Henry Hoof, the head coach there, is an expert at turning wrestlers and grapplers into dangerous stand-up fighters as well. So um, picking Allen because Heinich's wrestling defense is lacking and Allen is nasty from top position. Also, Heinich should have the edge standing, but not by very much. As long as Allen's cardio doesn't fail him, he should be the more dangerous fighter in this matchup. My next pick, man, this is where everything gets tough. I feel like we're at the point now where all, for me, they're all relatively, they're like splitting hairs. I could see various things happening in the different fights. I agree with you, but I do have one fight that I'm a little more confident in, I think, than the others. And that is picking Xiaonin Yan to beat Claudia Gadelia. Yan is 5-0 in the UFC, 12-1 overall, right? Not having lost a fight in 10 years. She throws fast, crisp hands on the counter that's complemented by her solid jab. She throws very effective sidekicks as well. She often goes right to the head with it and pops her opponent's head back. Surprised she hasn't gotten a knockdown from it, at least from what I've seen. She also has a pretty good offensive wrestling game, especially against an aggressive opponent that's kind of coming forward. Her Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is not high level. She was almost caught in a triangle choke by Angela Hill, who's known a lot more for her Muay Thai than her BJJ, I think it's safe to say. Although, again, Angela's been improving on the ground big time lately. Gadelia used to be a top contender as she dominated the former champion Ioana and Jacek for 10 minutes before giving up the final three rounds of their title fight. She used to be a dominant grappler, but didn't really have the gas tank to keep pushing that sort of game. She has, however, developed her stand-up in New Jersey under Mark Henry, who I think is doing a solid job with her, and I think it also is to her benefit that there are several other high-level female fighters in that camp. Since that title fight against Joanna, she has looked much more beatable. She's 3-2 and two in her last five fights, right? But an argument can be made for her being 1-4 and four in that stretch since the wins of Angela Hill and Carla Esparza were both very close. I favor Yan and Jan to beat Gadelia here for a decision win. As long as the judges get this right, of course, I think she's going to land the bigger shots and it'll be on the feet long enough. She is much better standing up, and unlike Gadelia, she's on an upward trajectory. But Gadelia has a shot if she can trick some foolish judges again or maybe lock in top position early in the fight. She can be pretty menacing from there. What are your thoughts? I really thought that Angela Hill won that last fight against Kadea. Oh boy, these last uh, these last three picks, I don't feel super confident about any of them. It's like pick your poison here, and I've got two of the and two of them are mine. We have there's no tiebreaker this week, is there? No, there are ten fights. It's even, so no tiebreaker. Oof, oof, bad news for me. <laughs> um, it really is bad news for you, Nick, because the tiebreaker is the only way you've been able to get a win for the past several weeks. Don't be a dick. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with man. Hopefully, the team alpha male fighter Max Griffin against Ramsey's uh, Brahimaj. I'm hopeful that this is a fight in a level of competition where Max Griffin's gonna be able to kind of put it together and maintain it. I thought that he looked really good in his fight against Tiago Alves, where he got robbed. Um, I think sometimes he gasses. I think his fight IQ isn't amazing, um, but I'm hopeful that he that he puts it all together and that just his athletic gifts allow him to uh, cruise to a decision here. Yeah, there's not a lot of footage on Ramiz, but he's predominantly a submission grappler with kind of a good overhand right. Trains at Fortis MMA and is 2-2 two and two in his last four fights, so it's not like super impressive going in. But Griffin is 3-6 and six in the UFC. 
but several of those decision losses were super close and all his losses are to kind of known UFC names, including uh, he, he fought Covington, he fought Zaleski Dos Santos, Tiago Alves, like you said, Cowboy Oliveira. Yeah, those are, I mean, geez, those are some killers. Yeah, UFC matchmakers haven't taken it easy on this guy. I'll take Griffin, who has the UFC experience and has been in there with much higher level of competition, but without footage on Ramiz, it's tough to be confident in this one. My next pick is going to be in the Trevin Giles versus Bevon Lewis matchup. This is very much a matchup of underachievers here. Yeah, Lewis can be hurt on the feet, and Giles has power, but I don't like how closely Giles squeaked through former lightweight James Krause, where Krause took the fight on a couple days' notice, and this is up at 185 pounds, right? He's... He's fighting at 170 nowadays, but not long ago, he was at 155. So the fact that it was a close fight concerns me. Bevon was dominating Yarai Hall until he got caught in the third round of his UFC debut. So that's kind of a good look for him. But I'm going to go with Giles because he throws with the intention of hurting his opponent. And Bevon throws with the intention of kind of sparring his opponent. He's a John Jones training partner. And I feel like he kind of goes at that pace always when he's uh, fighting. So I'm going with Giles, but very close matchup here, I think. I, uh... I think Giles is going to win it here because I think Bevan Lewis gasses and has a really lousy fight IQ, but I did, but I was I wasn't looking forward to picking this, <laughs> so I, I don't know. But I'm even less looking forward to picking the next fight. Listen, like peak da- peak Darren Elkins should be able to beat Eduardo uh, uh, Garagori. Darren Elkins looked really bad against Ryan Hall. He looked, I guess, bad. what he what was his last fight? He fought Nate Landwehr. Oh, and he lost that fight too, right? He did, but it was a close competitive fight. Yeah, he did okay. I I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Elkins here, but I'm not not with any degree of confidence. I think he's on a, a, down, a downward trajectory, but I don't know that from what we've seen of Eduardo uh, Garrigori, if Elkins fights the way that Elkins fights, he's gonna quite know what to do with him. <laughs> I think you're, he's just I think he's just gonna kind of madman, you know, push forward, throw you know, throw lots of shots, and probably. Probably just land more and do more damage over over the course of three rounds. Uh, even if even if Garagori um, is able to hurt him, or I also I think I think Elkins is wrestling is going to be able to stand up too. Yeah, I will be rooting for Garagori, who has way more career left and is kind of an exciting striker. But imagine towards. Elkins, who's going to have the wrestling advantage. Garagori is a good striker with yep. bad takedown defense. Kind of like every other Italian or Portuguese or whatever he is fighter on the roster. And Darren Elkins is a very tough guy. He can take a couple of shots and then either hold you up against that fence or drag you down and then win the fight that way. I think Elkins, uh, this is a pretty good style matchup for him considering the point in his career. Wait, Italian, doesn't he? Is he Italian? He fights out of Ecuador, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. You know what it is, Nick? It's uh, Uruguay, I believe. Uruguay, the cap the capital is is Montevideo, and if don't do this, I'm also again, well no late. We I've also heard it's I mean it's a, a wonderful <laughs> place to live, Montevideo, um, very metropolitan. They've done a great job with COVID and could become a destination as, uh, for us as these election results play out. <laughs> oh, you're down for South America? I thought uh, I was thinking more north, but I guess it would be warmer down there than Canada, wouldn't it? It's not out of not out of the question. I like you having a backup plan, Nick, that shows preparation, which eh, I'm not sure is something you're known for on this podcast. Nikolai, as a reminder, we are now 16 of my wins to 12 of yours. So you are 12 wins away, Nikolai, and we are, what is it, like seven or so weeks from the end of the year, which is, I assume, when we will be resetting this competition. So you've got a, you've got about a month and three quarters to overcome the deficit, Nikolai. You've been slowly creeping up one tiebreaker after another. If I can pull this within three, if I can pull this within three, it gets, it gets real interesting. Yeah, if you can pick up this win, then we're basically neck and neck. That would make things particularly interesting, I think. I agree. Nick, I'm quickly going to run through all of our picks. My first pick was Chikajagadze to beat Jamie Simmons. My second pick was Honey Barcelos to beat Khalid Taha. Third, I had Tiago Santos over Glover Teixeira. My fourth pick was Yao Nanjan to beat Claudia Gadelia. Fifth, I took Bevan Lewis to beat Trevin Giles. Your picks, Nikolai. First, you had Alexander Romanov to beat Delima, which I think is a solid pick. Second, you had Tanner Boza to beat Arlovsky. Third, Brendan Allen to beat Ian Heinich. Your fourth pick was Max Griffin to beat Ramiz Brahimaj. And finally, fifth, you took Darren Elkins to beat Eduardo Garagori. That'll do it for the picks this week, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your week. Looking forward to discussing results next week. We're going to take a break and come back with the MMA Geeks betting guide. Talk to you soon, my friend.
Welcome back. I'm going solo for the betting guide as usual. So last week was not a great week for us. Unfortunately, we lost $222. I'm not stressing it too badly because our profits last week were bigger than our losses this week. But it hurt. It sucks. The main reason for it is because I had two parlays, including Bobby Green, and he got screwed on that decision, unfortunately. So that really hurts me. I had Bobby Green in a parlay with Bryce Mitchell. And also I had him in a parlay with uh, Greg Hardy. And both Mitchell and Hardy dominated. Most MMA journalists believe that Bobby Green deserved that decision as well. What are you going to do? We also had a win on Uriah Hall and uh, Anthony Hernandez parlay. I did make a couple of bets that I wasn't happy with. They were essentially bets on Sean Strickland and Justin Jacoby. Um, I made them prop bets. I should have just combined those two guys together and made that into a parlay and that would have been successful but I got a little too specific on my prop bets and I'm not going to make that mistake again that wasn't a major part of my betting but it still was a part of it and then Cole Williams who came in horribly out of shape the guy hits really hard and he was fighting an opponent with not a great chin and he couldn't take advantage of it because he came in literally six pounds overweight he looked like he was way overweight he looked completely out of shape and performed like it not only did we win more money last week than we lost this week but we are still 267 percent up from our initial investment of 300 bucks a couple of months ago so we're still in a really good place here let's get into this week's betting opportunities first i recommend a straight bet on brendan allen at minus 111 55 dollars to win 50 on brendan allen i think that he is more talented and a better ground game than is ian heinich and i think he should be able to get takedowns here also like that he moved to sanford mma yaunin chan at minus 135 to beat claudia gadalia 67 dollars to win 50 on yaunin jan I'm a believer in her. Um, I, there's a chance she gets stuck on her back, and that could be real bad news. And there's a chance that you know a bad decision goes Goodelli's way. But I'm going to invest in uh, Yaun and Jen here. I also have a couple of parlays here. For, I also have a couple of parlays here. First, Tiago Santos and Tano's. I also have a couple of parlays here. First, Tiago Santos and Tanner Bozer. $56 to win 50 on those two combined. They're both facing kind of aged veterans, and I think both of them should be able to come through. I realize that there's always a chance Santos slips on a banana peel. Um, I am going to hedge on Arlovsky by decision, plus 450, $11 to win 50. I figure worst case, I'll even out if uh, if Arlovsky does end up getting the win and Bozer in, in that parlay doesn't work out for me. And that parlay doesn't work out for me. Uh, Honey Barcelos and Alexander Romanov, $100 to win 66 on those two. I'm a big believer in Romanov. And I think for Barcelos, this is a really good style matchup. There's a chance that Taha catches him with the bomb. But Honey's shown a good chin and really excellent boxing thus far. I think he should be able to take Taha down and, and do some damage from there. And then I have a couple of kind of throwaway parlays. It's a total of $13 in betting. I'm certainly not going to lose sleep over losing both of these bets. But Jamie Simmons by decision over Jika Jigadze plus 900. You're going to give me plus 900 odds on that? That's freaking insanity. From what I understand, Jamie Simmons is a Wisconsin State wrestling champ, I assume, in high school. And he's got a pretty good right hand from the footage that I've watched. So he's got a shot to take down Chikadze. I'm, I'm just saying it's not plus 900 level of impossible. So five bucks to win 45 on Jamie Simmons by decision. I think at the very least Chikadze will make it to a decision if Jamie Simmons is for some reason successful with takedowns. And then Garagori, if you choose him as a prop by decision over Darren Elkins, it's plus 550, $8 to win 44 I could see this fight looking uh, kind of similar to that Nate Landwehr fight that Darren Elkins is coming off of, uh, where he just kind of outworked, even though he's able to get some takedowns against the medium, you know, level takedown, medium level wrestler. He gets outstruck and takes so much damage that it ends up going the other way by decision. I think he's tough enough to make it to the scorecards if Garagori is having success. So eight bucks to win 44 on Garagori by decision. That will do it for the betting guide, folks. I'm quickly going to go over some of the more interesting fights on next week's UFC card. We've got Islam Makachev going up against Rafael Dos Anjos in the main event. Makachev, 18-1, kind of Khabib's understudy, so to speak. He's supposed to be the guy that kind of takes over after Khabib leaves. I mean, the one time he's lost thus far is when he got caught against a really good opponent with a big punch early in the fight. Rafael Dos Anjos, I think, is a pretty good test for the guy, but he's going to need another fight or two before he's able to challenge for that title. So let's see if he can get through this one. Antonio Arroyo versus Eric Anders. Arroyo reminds me of Luke Rockhold. He's just like this tall, kind of handsome kickboxer, southpaw dude who 
doesn't actually have much of a ground game, so maybe that's the big difference between him and Luke, but he's a very good kickboxer. Eric Anders is who Arroyo is fighting. Um, I, I'm actually pretty interested in this matchup. It should be fun to watch, at least. Abdul Razak al-Hassan versus Chaos Williams. Chaos Williams is 1-0 in the UFC, beginning a big upset over Alex Morono. And, of course, Abdul Razak al-Hassan is coming off of his first loss in a while. It was to that newcomer, Munir Lazez, who I was hoping we would see on Fight Island uh, on the second go-around, but it didn't work out. Luis Smolka versus Jose Alberto Quinones. Alex Morono versus Reese McKee. Tony Gravely versus Geraldo DeFreides. Brian Barberena versus Daniel Rodriguez is a great fight. Can I just say this card looking like it kind of sucks? I'm not impressed by this. I, I'm seeing maybe two or three fights that are actually worth being interested in. Maybe three or four at the max out of a 12-bout fight card. So, yeah, not really impressed with that one. I'm kind of hoping maybe there's some last-minute replacements and somehow the replacements are better than the originally scheduled opponents. Thank you all for listening. Looking forward to discussing uh, this weekend's results next week with you guys.